can remain standing for the reading of God's word, please do so. Scripture reading is found in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, welcome. Last week, uh, we made a a significant statement in the study of our book of Hebrews saying that it was the culmination of the argument of the book of Hebrews. This week, in a good pastoral form, he now makes a transition, giving a good summary statement. When we're doing studies at Dallas Seminary and they were teaching us to preach that you always were required, you'd have your point, you have your opening introduction, where you got to hook your congregation, you got to hook, book, look them, and took them, right? Okay? And, and I won't go into all the hook, book, look, took, okay? But we did the hook, book, look, took. And then, and then you know, you get the congregation into the sermon, you enter them into this time, then you give them your first point, and after you give them your first point, you summarize your first point leading into your second point. Sounds like an essay, doesn't it? But you're doing this verbally, and then you roll into your second point, and then you summarize the first and second point, and you roll into your third point, and at the conclusion of your sermon, you want to conclude one, two, and three briefly before you giving the final imperative and the application of the sermon and drawing people outward to go and and do what has been taught to you from the word of God. Well, in great preacher form, the book of Hebrews is going to summarize 10 chapters in two verses. 10 chapters in two verses. Jesus is greater than the angels. He has a better revelation. He has more power. He has more authority. Jesus is better than Moses. He's a much better prophet than Moses ever was. Jesus has the better Abraham. Although the promises of Abraham, you know, were fulfilled in Jesus Christ, he is from a different line. He is from a Melchizedek in line to the priesthood. The line of priesthood that Jesus is part of is better. So that makes him better than the Levitical priesthood. And and, and Hebrews is just screaming, Jesus is better, Jesus is better, Jesus is better. 
And it's giving to all the justifications of why Jesus is better. And we've gotten these little drops as we've gone through. Since Jesus is better, then we've got this compassionate, merciful high priest that we can come to in our hour of need. Because we have got this great high priest, we don't ever have to think about offering another sacrifice for sin. We can embrace the truth of God, knowing that there's nothing we could do to ever earn this, but rather God just wants us to take hold of these truths, embrace them, and follow him, and live in light of them. And he brings us to this wonderful point in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, therefore, and this is a big fat therefore, okay? If you've got your Bible and you're okay with writing in your Bible, circle that thing and point back to the whole, everything that proceeds earlier. This is, he is wrapping this up and he's going to move into an incredible application phase before, but before doing that, he's going to issue a warning that we'll talk about next week. Therefore, brothers, and this is brothers and sisters, this is the family of God. Therefore, family of God, Since we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, and I'm going to stop right there. This idea of this curtain that is made and inaugurated in Jesus Christ comes from this wonderful word that means bringing about something with implication that it is newly established, ratifying, inaugurating, dedicating. We are able to enter into this curtain that is not meant to keep us out. That was the old law. No one could enter into the holy place. No one but once a year. It was meant to keep them out. They could not draw into the presence of God. This thick, heavy curtain. Which was, you know, when it says it was rent top to bottom. That's a miraculous thing. If you're going to tear something, you're going to, as a man, you're going to begin at the bottom where you can reach and start tearing upward. But God, it was, it was rent by God, not man. And God rent that sucker top to bottom. And it was this thick, heavy curtain that nobody, not even the power team. How many of y'all know who the power team was? All right. Oh, see, I'm showing my age here. See, Eric's nodding his head. Eric's got the power team. So power team used to be these like muscular dudes that used to rip phone books in half and, and they'd have handcuffs and they'd rip them apart. I mean, you saw the, Christy, you saw the power team, didn't you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. See, yeah. And then you, I grew up going, man, I want to be a power team guy someday. Like, didn't happen, but okay. But so, he, like, not even the power team, not even Arnold Schwarzenegger or Lee Haney could rip that thing from top to bottom. God rent it because the curtain was now no longer people, something to keep people out, but actually draw them in by the blood of Jesus Christ. God wants you in his presence. God wants you drawing near to him. So he sent his son to make this way, to inaugurate a new way for you to be in this presence of God. For God is not desirous that any should perish. So we made this new way. My question for you this morning is, do you get it? And I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Do you get it? Do you get the fact 
of what Jesus Christ did for you and how he wants you in his presence. He wants you to draw near to him. He did this not begrudgingly. Jesus isn't sitting there on the throne of God with a chip on his shoulder. Saying, you know what? I had to go through that and you're still not getting it? What a waste. He is pleading with us to understand what he has done for us so that we might grow in to this deep, wonderful relationship with him. Christy and I had the joy of um, traveling to Spokane on Friday to go watch Elijah play football and and, uh, north of Spokane. And on our way there, we listened to one of our favorite preachers we enjoyed listening to, and he was talking about 1 Corinthians, and he was talking about how Paul's introduction into the letter of Corinthians And here is, if you've ever studied the Corinthian church, I love it. He's a pastor over in Bellevue. And he's, the the hashtag for the sermon series is like Seattle, Corinth. Because he really sees a lot of similarities of the depravity of Seattle and the depravity of Corinth together. But before we start ripping on Seattle, it could very likely be hashtag Chelan, Corinth as well. But he makes this powerful point in the beginning of 1 Corinthians where he says, Paul is addressing these people, these broken, sinful, debaucherous people as saints. Do we get it? We're saints. When was the last time you thought of yourself in such a regard. I'm a saint. Now, those of you with a Catholic background that may come with a little extra baggage, because saint is this person that, that the Catholic Church has to acknowledge has lived a certain life and they deem them saints. But that's not the way God describes them in the Bible. A saint is a person who is a follower of Jesus Christ who is trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and a saint has got nothing to do with what you've done. Saints got nothing to do with with how you lived your life for Jesus, what you've done in the past, what you'll do in the future. It is everything to do with what Jesus Christ has accomplished on your behalf. You are a saint. And the only response is praise God. You're a saint. God has has saved us from our mess and our brokenness. Do we get it? That's what the author is saying. I'm summarizing all the argument one more time, just in case you missed the main point. Here it is. Jesus Christ is the great high priest over the house of God. And he's established the house of God as something that's beyond anything to compare it to. Don't compare it to the temple. Don't compare it to the tabernacle. Those are prototypes that cannot make perfect. It is only the things of heaven that can make perfect. It is only the things found in heaven that are glorious, that are good. It is only when we live in light of them that we have any hope. And he's pointing them, just reorient yourself from the things of this earth to the things of heaven that was brought near to us by Jesus Christ when God became Emmanuel. God with us. Do we get it? I want to pause here and do something I haven't done in a long time, but there's a song 
that just keeps ministering to my heart over and over and over again that I help things drives this point in because my desire for you this morning is not go, do you get it, you bunch of knuckleheads? But rather, do you get it? Does it soften your heart? Because when we get it, it makes us pliable in the hands of God. Casey, would you forward the slides, Mike? I'm having issues. When I am a wasteland, you are the water. When I am the winter, you are the fire that burns When I am a long night You are the sunrise When I am a desert
What's the answer to that question? Absolutely nothing. I was reading in my time with God this morning. It just happened to be the, going through Genesis, reading through Melchizedek, blessing Abraham. And I'm thinking about this incredible triumphant victory of Abraham. Like, you got four kings versus five kings. And the kings on kings, like, four kings lose. But one man sits out with 385 and kicks tail and is victorious over all these kings. And Melchizedek comes and he blesses Abraham. And as amazing and as powerful that blessing is, all Melchizedek was doing is saying, we need to be blessed by someone greater. And that someone greater was Jesus. And he comes and he blesses us. And he serves as a servant, the son of God, serves as the most faithful servant and he places, he lays down his life for us. Bunch of knucklehead sheep that wander around in circles and struggle to be obedient and follow God. And he blesses us by by remaining upon the throne. And he says to us, in verse 21, since we have this great high priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near. Let us draw near. God does, God does this not to stiff arm us. God does this so that we'll enter into his presence, so that we'll get to know him, so that we'll get to experience him. And I think in, in, in the biblical church model, which is more the, like we're more of a Bible church at Livingstone, and, and so we kind of follow that model. But, and, and so we learn a lot about the things of God, and we can list out the attributes of God. He's omnipotent. He, he's, he's all-powerful. He's, all, he's all-knowing. You know, we start listening to these holy. He's righteous. You know, you, we can list out the attributes of God, but God says, I don't want to be something that you academically study. I want to be something you experience. I'm saving your heart so that you might know me and I might tenderize that sucker so that I can draw you in and you can feel my presence and know me and walk with me every day. And I know our emotions can be fickle things that could have pulled us the wrong way and here and there, but Jesus wants to redeem our emotions. He wants to make them so that they'll become, they'll become soft and tender for him and thirst for his word and thirst to be in his presence and thirst to know him. He says, enter in, and he says, enter in with this, this pure heart. In our time and sermon chat, Tom Dunbar gave me this great illustration. Tom tells me that the word in the Spanish Bible, which he says is the only true Bible. <laughs> I might have to argue with him on that one. Um, he says the word there is sincerio. To enter in with a sincere heart, a sincerio. And the word quite literally means in the Spanish, without wax. You're like, huh? It's talking about a sculpture. Where where someone takes and chiseling away at the sculpture, but is so skilled, so crafted, that there's no need to apply wax upon the statue because they've accidentally taken out a spot that shouldn't be taken out of. It's talking about a, a pure, a whole sculpture. 
We're to enter into God's presence with this pure heart. Brothers and sisters, here's another Spanish word, imposible. It is impossible for us on our own doing to enter into the presence of God apart from the blood of Christ. He calls us to draw in and then he gives us the ability to draw in the way we're supposed to with a pure, a sincere heart, with full assurance, not questioning, not second-guessing, not sitting there going, do I deserve this? The answer is a resounding no. But he's saying that's not even a good question because I gave it to you freely. I don't want you to sit there and worry about whether you deserve it. I don't think there that you think of you earn this or you've been good enough for this. The answer is no. Just accept it. Let no be confident in what Christ has done to your hearts and enter in with full assurance. Hebrews likes this term, draw near to God. In 7.25, in Hebrews 7.25, the author writes, consequently, he is able to save the uttermost those who draw near to God, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I love that term, uttermost. It should give us all a great hope. The furthest out. Those that we say, they'll never. Jesus delights to bring in, they'll never. Jesus delights to bring in the impossible, the ones that no one is thinking anything good of. In Hebrews eleven six, it says, and without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. In Hebrews 10, 1, he says, for since the law has been a shadow of good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never be by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year after year, make perfect those who draw near. The sacrifices of the Old Testament couldn't make it possible for us to draw near. 1 Peter 2, 4 says, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also died for sins once and for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. Through Christ, we have our access in one spirit to the Father, Ephesians 2.18. And Romans 5.11 says, we exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. John Piper says of this, The blood of Christ so completely covers our sins and removes our guilt that the conscience can rest at peace. Not because we are sinless and not because the conscience doesn't sometimes accuse us, but because when it does, we by faith speak to it and say, I know I have sinned. It grieves me. I hate my sin, but I have a Savior. Jesus Christ, who shed his priceless blood for me to bear my sins and to cover my transgressions. Therefore, be silent, O conscience. Be at peace in Jesus. And because that is true, let us draw 
near. This is a zeal for nearness to God that is according to truth. What is it to draw near? Is it just this, this passive thing that we just sit there in a chair in, a, in the morning and we pray to God, say, I, I'm drawing near to you, God, as I just sit here and think about you. I, I think it's not a passive thing. I think it's an active thing. Amen. Amen. It's getting in the word. Amen. It's talking to God. I, I wonder how many Christians actually spent this week in stillness and quiet. Talking to God, drawing near to him, asking that the Holy Spirit would convict and lead our hearts in deeper understanding and relationship with our God. You see, he doesn't just tell us to journey with him and walk with him as this thing that's not attainable, not achievable. He tells us to do it because he's given us the spirit to illuminate the path. To draw near to God is a real tangible thing. But brothers and sisters, if we keep living our lives in ways that keep us from drawing near to God, we can't expect to draw near to him. Because remember, God said, here is what ideal relationship looks like. Here is what it is to walk with me and have this abundant life in me. He's not interested in our opinions on the matter. Jesus is creator. Adam and Eve were made perfect in the garden, able to walk with God in every sense of the word. It was in their rebellion that they broke that ability to know what perfect relationship looked like. And mankind has been screwing it up since. And Jesus says, here it is. You want a healthy marriage? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Hard words. But you want the abundant marriage? That's what it looks like. He puts it out there. And that's men not being abusive because Jesus wasn't abusive to the church. For the joy set before him endured the cross and suffering and its shame. When was the last time, men, you endured suffering and shame for your wives? Are you so prideful? That you wouldn't. Wives, when was the last time you let your husband made a mistake and didn't bring it up? Are you so fearful that God isn't in control that you've got to step in and fix it? Then abundant marriage. Like, here it is. This is what he's wanting to give us. Single people. God's telling you, hey, walk in holy. Let Jesus be enough. Let him meet the desires of your heart. And if you're finding yourself burning, then get married. But cohabitating before marriage is sin, and it's leading you up to not to the abundant life, but another destroyed marriage. He is calling us to a standard link because why? He wants us in his presence. It's not to write a bunch of rules. He's like, I want to walk with you. I want you to know me. I want you to hear my voice. I want you to know what it is to be in my presence. But you keep trying to run the other way thinking that somehow this over here is going to give you the same satisfaction of being in my presence. But you were made. You were made from the foundations of the earth to be in the presence of God. That's what you were made for. 
Parents guiding your kids, pointing them, caring about what they're listening to, caring about what they're watching, caring what, what games they're playing, caring about those things. My teens in the room, do you care enough about your friends to share the gospel with them? Because you got friends right now that are thinking that the only way out is death. You're not guaranteed tomorrow with your friends. Where none of us are, as was this illustrated this week in our communities, I just found out this morning, it's breaking my heart to think about that somebody, the only way that they could ever think that they could go on is they can't and they're going to take their life. Brothers and sisters, God say, draw near to me so that you can be this beacon of hope and a light in a very dark world. Draw near. If you get it, if you get the message of Christ as our high priest and his intercession for us and his new life for us, he's saying, if you get it, draw near and live this way. Love God. The next thing he tells us in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. I love the condition once again. The condition of us, our ability to draw near is this cleansed heart and this boldness that God gives to us. The way that we hold fast to our confession of hope is because Jesus is faithful. Amen. He is the faithful one. It's not built upon our faithfulness. It's built upon his faithfulness and who he is. It's my job as a pastor. I know it's in the positive there, but I'm thinking about my kids. Like, the house is on fire, and when you throw one of those rope ladders out of the top story window, and your kid's like climbing down the ladder, but as he gets to that, that second rung, and he's a long way away from the ground, or her, they've got that rung, and their feet have slipped out, and you're screaming, don't, you're probably not just hold on, but you're saying, don't let go. That's what he's saying here. Here is this confession of hope in Christ and God is screaming at us, don't let go, maintain, hold on. Don't let go. For that is your hope. It's the confession that Jesus is our high priest. He is the king. He is the one that has come. And he's the one that's come to redeem us. And in our not letting go, in our maintaining, in our holding fast to this truth of Jesus Christ, we minister to those around us who see us in many times of peril, of heartache, of pain, of suffering. They see us holding fast to this confession and they're going, how can you have hope in the midst of devastation? Because he who promised is faithful. We don't let go. Hebrews 3, 3, 1, therefore, holy brothers, Sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our faith and our confession. Hebrews 4.14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Steve Timmis pastor in England, writes this, Jesus Christ, God's 
promised rescuer and ruler lived our life, died our death, and rose again in triumph vindication of the first fruits of the new creation to bring forgiven sinners together by the Holy Spirit to live under his gracious reign as a kingdom people. Brothers and sisters, if you get it, then you draw near. If you get it, you hold fast. And it is an incredible privilege to walk and journey with our brothers and sisters in time of loss and to watch Don Harris and Don Webb cling to the confession of hope. Their hearts hurt and ache, but their confession is in Jesus Christ. For their spouses are with him, and someday they'll be with them in eternity, worshiping and glorifying the Savior. Holding fast. When I think of somebody hanging from a ladder, I don't think that's a passive thing. I see it as a very active thing of clinging to, of knowing, and that truth, that hope, and clinging to it with everything that we've got and saying, I won't let go. The third and final plea of the author of Hebrews is found in verse, starting in verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to Meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So contextually, he's saying, guess what? As you see the end of days drawing near, as you, as you see that the, the days are being culminated and the return of the king is imminent, this is screaming even louder. Well, I don't know if you got this or not, but the day, the minute that Jesus ascended into heaven the clock began ticking and the day was drawing near at that moment. I don't know if you get it that the Apostle Paul thought Jesus was coming back in his day. He can come back. And so he's saying the day is drawing near, so we need to consider each other. Now, I want you to understand this. This is a powerful term. It's so powerful. It's been used one other time in the book of Hebrews. And I hope you get this, and you may even want to write this down as a cross-reference there in your text. And it comes from Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. He's used this idea of considering before. In Hebrews 3, 1, he says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God, who are partners with those who are called to heaven, think carefully, consider about this Jesus, whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. That's a drop the mic and walk out moment. We're to consider each other, how to stir one another up to love and good works. And again, it's not good works out of religiosity, out of legalism, out of moral code, 
but it's good works demonstrated in a relationship found in Jesus Christ. Because we love Jesus, we want to pursue God with all of our lives and do the things God's calling us to do. We want to do that, and we want to stir one another up. The, quite, the word there is, is, is excite, is almost like a be that catalyst in somebody's life to love and good works, to pursue God, to love God. And then that word love there is agapao. It's this, this love of God, that love that can only come from God and flow out of us and do the things that God wants us to do. You So when was the last time, and don't raise your hand because this is where it gets way too convicting, that you spent time on how to stir somebody outside of your immediate family to love and good works. Because he just dropped the bomb by saying, as you consider Jesus, the great high priest, you should also be considering and thinking upon how to stir one another up to love and good works. Amen. This takes isolation Christianity and places it in the trash can. Amen. Because what he's just said, if you get it, if you get what Jesus has done for you, this is going to be your mindset. This is going to be how you live. When I hear Christians or people who profess to be Christians say, I don't need to go to church. And we just had a family member tell us this. And it broke Christy and I's heart. We worship on a Sunday morning in front of a television. And I pick and I choose what I need that morning. I know these people know Jesus. I know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. But my heart is broken over where they're at. Because they don't get it. They don't get Jesus as their high priest and what he's done. He didn't do that so that they'd go sit in isolation. He did that so that there would be this community of God that is being built up into a holy temple. Oh, wait a minute. First Peter 2 and 4 and 5. That we're being stones built upon stones to be a holy place of worship where God is glorified. You can't be a temple by yourself in one stone. You need each other to be built up into something that is worshipful and glorifying to God. Now, I apologize on behalf of all the bad sermons and on behalf of all the pastors who've used this text to proof text that you need to show up on a Sunday morning. Because if you think that this was about, we miss this by a long shot. This is how in the world are you right now sitting here to stir one another up to love and good works? No, you're hearing me telling you Hopefully me stirring your hearts, but you not stirring up each other. The only way we're stirring up each other is to get out of rows and to get into circles and smaller circles where we're praying for each other, where we know how to pray for one another. Not what you think the person needs to be prayed for, but what they actually need to be prayed for. To love one another. I was so refreshed from yesterday because I got to spend time with a group of elders that are really excited about our church and the individuals in our church being where they're at and encouraging them to stir them up to love and good deeds. Not to get them where they think they need to be, but to get you where God is calling you to be as a body of believers. 
this is huge. I don't know if you've, if you've sat and contemplated the same way. Like he's saying, consider Jesus, right? Meaning that our thoughts are upon Jesus. We think about what he's done. We think about what he's doing. We think about who he is. We think about what he's calling us to. Like we think about Jesus. But he's also saying, well, if you can't think about Jesus without thinking about how to stir one another up. But that shouldn't surprise us. When the young lawyer approaches Jesus, and the young lawyer goes, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus is like, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, spirit, and love your neighbor as yourself. It shouldn't shock us. It's not an and, or, it's, or if you, it's not, well, do this, and if you feel like it, this. It's like, no, you can't separate these two commands. It's this and this together. You can't love God without loving people. You can't consider Jesus without stirring up other believers in the faith. Do you get it? And it's uncomfortable. We have people in our church body that are introverts to the nth degree. They're like to get together in a small group setting with people is exhausting to them. Jesus says, great, you're being suffered and poured out for Jesus. Praise God. That's what he's saying. He's like, he's like, he's not sitting there saying, well, since you, since you're made that way, it's okay. You have an out. No, there's no out. There's no out. And I'm telling you what, this is the great news because next week is the kick in the butt. Next week, if you want a happy, joyful, feel-good sermon, don't come back. I'm so serious. Like, these next few verses in this give, give theologians fits. Because they're so strong in the language that the author of Hebrews is like, fine, you don't want to live that way? then you're this close to hell. Amen. That's what he's about to say. Amen. Hear me. This is hard. But we have been given the Holy Spirit to live this way, to, to draw near, to hold fast, and to consider each other. This is the life he's calling us to. If we get it, This is where it leads us to. And it's good news because we go back to that abundant life. He's like, I want you to have this abundant life. I want you to have this. I want you to live it. I want you to live as close to heaven as you can here on earth. And it's got nothing to do with wealth and possessions. But it's got everything to do with seeing things from a heavenly perspective. He didn't save you for yourself. He saved you. You might become part of something, his body, his family, and that together, together we will grow up in him and honor and glorify him and worship him. I'm going to close with one final story. This week, um, because of the announcement that, that, that I made that um, God is calling us out, um, to go to Troy, Michigan here in, in, in the summer, people come up to me now. You know, that, this, we always joke that when we were at the old place, we would joke that, like, 
a rumor would travel faster than you could get to Walmart. Meaning that like if you went to Walmart, people would be there asking you about what you just said in, 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 over there. And it was a joke, but not so much. You know, we're, we're in Walmart. I'm walking through Walmart and this guy points me out and I wave at him and, he, and, and I thought that was it. And I start heading over here to get, get some cheese for Brie cheese for Christie's jalapeno cheese thing that she makes. Super good, super fatting. Um, and he makes a beeline for me and he's like, I heard this, is it true? And I'm like, yeah, this is, you know, God's calling me out. And then he's like, well, and, and he makes this statement. Well, it's, that broke my heart. Like, well, you're leaving the ministry. No. No, I'm not going to get paid anymore for being a preacher on a Sunday morning. But I will never leave the ministry. Brothers and sisters, we, according to 1 Corinthians 15, are called to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ, ministers. Every single one of us, if you call yourself a child of God in here this morning, is to be a minister of Jesus Christ. You're to be stirring one another up to love and good works. Isn't that what, a, what you expect me to do on a Sunday morning? Well, according to Hebrews, that expectation's on all of us. May it be said of us that none of us will ever leave the ministry. That no matter where God takes us, no matter what God calls us to, we will always be ministers of Jesus Christ. Because that's what we're called to. That's what we're saved to. To draw near to God, hold fast the confession of hope, and stir one another up to love and good works. And even more so as the day is drawing near. And brothers and sisters, at any time, the king can return. Join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you're calling us to love God, to love people, to make disciples. And not disciples of ourselves, but disciples of Jesus Christ. So we need to understand our own discipleship. Thank you, Lord, that we have a great high priest who who is standing by. So that when we are convicted this morning of our failure to live this way, a failure to pursue the abundant life in Jesus Christ. To remind us that we are forgiven. And to point us back towards that light, that path that's being lighted by the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you tenderize our hearts. And Lord, I pray that we would sing hallelujah when hearing this. That because of what Jesus has done, we don't deserve it. And so we say the only thing that we could say, hallelujah. Praise be to God and God alone. For he has saved us from our sin, our rebellion, our death, our destruction, our damnation. 
to a life of abundance in Jesus Christ. You are so good. You are the promised one, the faithful one. In Jesus' name we pray, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. This time we um, share some God stories, and I think that <clears throat> Christy and I had a discussion this week, and I think I ended up on the other end of the discussion, but um, there's just one God story, especially in light of... Um, this message about stirring other up to love and good works. And some of you began to ask, them, like, how did you guys arrive? And, and I'm just going to share two instances where God used this body to stir us up to where we're going. One of them was Kathy Jones. And, and about, what, about three or four months away, Kathy's like, great, I'm going to get blamed. No, Kathy, you won't get blamed. Right? <laughs> Pointing people to Jesus and discipling their hearts, stirring us up, you're being obedient. Kathy comes up after a service. And I love it. She was, she was challenged by the service. And then she just puts her hands on mine, and with eyeball-to-eyeball contact, she goes, you need to listen to your own sermon. And I was talking about people being called out and, and, and pursuing where God is calling us and in our neighborhoods and our friends and those kind of things. And, and she's like, you need to listen to your own sermon. So I was like, and, and Christy and I were having these conversations at home, and I was like, whoa, okay. And the other one was Martin, and Martin is not even here to, to take the blame. Um, Martin has been has moved down to Wenatchee with his son and daughter-in-law um, to be close to Janine and his wife, who's in memory care. And Janine took a bad fall. Um, they're not even able to do surgery on her hip because of where she is at uh, mentally and the confusion that would be brought around by anesthesia and other things. And so he's down there loving on his family, left left his home that he has known for several generations in his family and moved down there to be a loving husband, to take care of his family and also so his family can take care of him, and that is super hard. Martin came up to me, and we were talking, and he was like, you know, it's hard, but you got to go where, where God makes it clear you need to go. And he grabs my hands and he says to me, he goes, Scott, you need to do the same thing. And if you've talked with Martin, you know, I think it's okay. So he's slipping a little bit, but it, for him in that moment saying that with such clarity, he just looks right at me, you need to do the same thing. Amen. Stirring each other to love and good works. I wouldn't have missed those conversations, missed these moments at all. And you guys have stirred us up into the love and good works in so many different ways. And you've challenged our faith in so many different ways. And so we're so appreciative of that. So, again, we've kind of said that we'd start sharing God's stories along the way because we haven't shared them up to this point. Um, but you have been used by God in our lives to stir us on to love and good works. Who else has got a God story this morning? Oh, don't be shy. A couple weeks ago, I celebrated my nephew's fifth birthday. Well, um, my younger brother and his wife are members of the Latter-day Saints Church. And um, I've been praying for them. Well, um, as it happens, um, 
my nephews know um, the Snyders. And um, Glenn and his two boys were at my nephew's birthday party. And my parents happened to be there. And that day, um, my dad and Glenn started talking. And I found out on Wednesday, because the Latter-day Saints Church had their trunk or treat, that my dad and Glenn spent a considerable amount of time talking. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if most of you know, if any of you know, but my dad doesn't believe in anything. And I have been praying for four years for my dad and to have Glenn and my dad talk is a miracle from God. God. God brought Glenn into my dad's life, and I know that the Holy Spirit is working in my dad today. Amen. So, praise God. Amen. So uh, we had wildlife on Wednesday, and we had 30 kids, which was great. We counted them three times just to make sure. Um, <laughs> it was chaotic, and um, it was great, but it was also a really rough night. Um, we had a group of kids that was just really rough. Um, and I have a girl in wildlife that I've just been just pursuing trying to pursue, um, and I just realized that my heart was just getting hard towards her. I was kind of angry and angry at her behavior, um, and I had to confess to one of the other girls in my group that she was loving her better than I was, um, and one of the kids that was being rough at Wildlife on Wednesday was her little brother, and we ended up having to take him out along with some other kids and just stand outside, um, just because they were just being really disrespectful. And it was really discouraging, and I had decided last week that I just needed to believe that God was bigger and just pray for her heart and that he would pursue her heart because it was really just turning into me just being just angry at her behavior. Um, and she came out after wildlife, and she hugged me, which was huge, and apologized for her brother. Um, and it was a small gesture, but, uh, it was huge just because she has not wanted to talk to any leaders or really even have anything to do with us. So it was just amazing, small little gesture, but it just felt huge. 